Good morning, friends. Wonderful to be with you. Uh, my name is Dan. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you are new with us or feeling new, a warm welcome to you. Uh, as David said, uh, that, uh, that Bible passage would be great to have open. And if you do need a Bible, there are some Bibles. We've sort of tucked them under the seats of the aisles there. So if the person that's on the aisle maybe just picks a few up and see if there's anyone in the row that might need one, um, feel free to uh, grab and make it uh, available in front of you. It'd be good to have uh, God's Word there as we look through it together. Now, if you do call MBM home, I just wanted to give you a quick update about, uh, kind of an update on our pledges, actually. We've been um, seeking to um, invite the congregation to uh, let us know what they plan to give for the, uh, the year ahead, um, so that we can make informed and wise ministry decisions. The target was 1.7, and we've reached $1.22 million, so that is a huge thanks to God for the generosity of you guys, and uh, how about I actually give thanks to God right now for that. Let's pray. Oh God, what a generous God you are. You've shown us in the Lord Jesus an outrageous generosity as he gave up his own life so that we might live. And thank you, Father, for inspiring that same generosity in amongst your people who call MBM home. We pray, Father, for our awesome deacon team that they would make wise decisions for the year ahead uh, to see the good news of Jesus go out from Parramatta, Rudy Hill, all of Western Sydney and to the four corners of the globe. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I won't ask you to put your hand up, but uh, maybe you're like me in being one of the 3.7 million Medibank customers who've had your data compromised. I won't ask you to put your hand up. Now, the question that runs through my mind each time as I hear the news reports or get the email updates is, has my data been actually leaked on this so-called dark web? Uh, how would I know that the hackers actually have got my data and have used it for some reason? Now, if, if you go to the FAQ section of the Medibank uh, website, it's not that reassuring. Uh, it basically says, we'll let you know if your data's been compromised. As far as we know, we'll let you know. And uh, look, so far I haven't been contacted, so I guess I'm okay, right? But even if Medibank did contact me, even if they got in touch with me and said, you know, we think that your data's been compromised, how would I know for sure what's been done with it? To be sure, I'd have to hear directly from the hackers themselves, right? These cyber criminals. And as confronting as that would be, I would have to kind of almost hear them say, yep, your date of birth is this, or this is your Medicare number, just to confirm that they actually have my data. Then and only then would I know for sure. Well, thankfully, when it comes to knowing whether you're in or out of God's family, it's a totally different story. Whether you're truly one of his children on this most important of all topics that you can face in life, we get to hear directly from God himself. He lets us know. The book of 1 John is a short letter written by the Apostle John in the first century, and he's been thumping home one big point, is that God not only wants you to be saved, he wants you to know that you are saved. That's the take-home message of 1 John. And it's important to realise that at the time that John was writing this, uh, there was actually a, a, little, a little group, a little faction within this church family, and they were going around saying, no, 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 in order to be part of God's family, you need to have a special knowledge that only we have. And so you can imagine, right, there's this kind of us and them dynamic that's going on. There's the elite group, right, the ones who have this special knowledge, who are looking down at the ordinary Christians, you know, the ones who stuck with the apostles' teaching. And they're saying, you guys are not the real deal. You, you, you're not part of, you don't really know God. 
Well, today that same question plays out in all sorts of different ways, doesn't it? Uh, not only from external voices, but also our own voices as well, as we deal with that same doubt that keeps popping up, as we keep tripping over that same sin. You know, am I really a Christian? Or maybe it's the pull of our culture, you know, the lies that make us question ourselves, you know, are we fools for throwing my lot in with, with Christ? So the question, how can I know for sure I'm the real deal? Answer, 1 John 3. And John uses this phrase that is going to pop up again and again here, four times in fact. Uh, you see it in verses 10, verses 16, verse 19, and verse 24. It's the phrase, this is how we know. This is how we know. And we're going to unpack that um, a little bit later on. But all that repetition, it really serves to drive home John's main point, which is this. He wants you and I to know that these three things up on the screen. He wants us to know what a genuine believer looks like. He wants us to know what it means to have genuine love and how to display it. And it's also that you can have genuine confidence in where you stand with God. So first, how to spot a genuine believer. Pick it up with me at verse 10 of 1 John. John writes this, This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother or sister. Basically, John's saying is that you can go God's way, which is the right way, or you can go the wrong way, which is the devil's way. And a key part of knowing whether you're going God's way is whether you're heading down the path of love. Which brings us to verse 11. Take a look, verse 11. This is the message, John says, you've heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Now, John circles back to this topic of love again, not because these guys have forgotten it. No, it's because it's so foundational, so fundamental. I mean, Jesus himself, right, puts love front and centre. Uh, before he went to the cross, John 13, 34, this one's up on the screen. Jesus said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. There's nothing new here. Now, the alternative to, to not loving one another, well, let's just say it's not pleasant. Uh, 1 John spells it out. You can respond in hatred, verse 15. You can respond in indifference, verse 17. Or you can respond in murder, verse 12. Let's take a look. John writes, Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. John's saying, whereas a child of God loves, a child of the devil murders. And to really prove his point, he takes us back to the very first murder in the Bible, back in Genesis 4, you can read it for yourself later on, where we were told that actually God accepted Abel's sacrifice rather than Cain's. Not told why exactly, what made it better, but either way, the bottom line was that hate, that envy at seeing someone else get ahead was what caused Cain to murder his own brother. And we see that play out in all aspects of our life, don't we? Whether that's someone else getting the promotion instead of you. Whether that's someone getting engaged instead of you. Whether that's someone getting a better grade than you. Living in a better home than you. Rather than loving one another, we actually can head in the opposite direction. And John turns to hatred, verse 15. He tells us in no uncertain terms what hate actually leads to. Take a look at verse 15. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. 
and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. Whoa! John's being a bit harsher, isn't he? To say that hate equals being a murderer? I mean, really? John's saying, look at Cain. All you had to do was to go back to look at Cain and look at the hate that he had, a hate that was so great that it led to wiping out his very own brother. At the end of the day, friends, we know we're the real deal because we've got that trajectory, that inclination, that deep desire to love rather than hate. Unlike the world, which is actually marked by hate, especially towards believers. Take a look at verse 13. John gives us the heads up. He says, Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters. Why? If the world hates you. John's coming at this kind of um, topic of spotting the real deal from now a different angle. And he wants to say that, you know, you know you're the real deal if the world starts hating on you. That's pretty confronting, isn't it? And it ought to make us kind of question as, as, I, kind of, as I got was dealing with the text this week, it's like, when was the last time like, I was on the receiving end of some opposition? When was the last time I stuck my neck out for Jesus or took a stand for Jesus? When I, stood, when I spoke up for Jesus? Because often those are the things that result in the world hating us, right? Now, for many of you, I know your story and for a fact that you turned your back on the religion that you were brought up with. Uh, maybe it was your family's religious identity and you did that at great cost. You said Jesus is worth it. Um, whenever someone is going to take the hand of Jesus uh, or considering taking the hand of Jesus, and that might be some of you in this room right now, I almost try to talk them out of it. Right? Uh, I usually say something like, you do realise that as wonderful as it is to take the hand of Jesus, it's going to come with some costs. There's going to be a target on your back. And pretty much guaranteed, you know, your friends or family will start to distance themselves from you and you'll stick out for being a follower of Jesus. But friends, at the end of the day, it's all worth it, isn't it? It's all worth it. Because of what John says in the next verse, verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life. Why? Because we love each other. Because we love each other. You know, here at church, we often talk about people moving from death to life when they take the hand of Jesus. You know, one moment they're spiritually dead, next minute spiritually alive. All thanks to saying yes to Jesus. Well, you can know for sure that that transformation from death to life has happened by the quality of our love for one another. It's demonstrated. It's a lived experience. It's not just a theoretical thing. And that's why we as a church are committed to loving one another. We want to keep on doing better and better at that. Not just across different ages and across different stages, but across different ethnicities as well. Uh, this week I came across with some these resources that are put out by Anglicare, Uh, and I'll have some of them down at morning tea, but these are resources that are designed to help us love others from a different cultural background. So there's, you know, my neighbour is Nepali, my neighbour is Lebanese, my neighbour is a refugee, my neighbour is Indian, Sri Lankan, etc., etc. Feel free to grab them. That can be very helpful in helping us to love one another as we have the beauty of being a multi-ethnic community here. But, you know, nothing beats actually talking to one another either. And God has blessed us with a multi-ethnic, diverse community so that we can love one another across cultures. Well, that leads us to the second thing John wants us to know. Genuine love, point two. Here John spells out what genuine love looks like for people. 
Now, if you've got a Bible open there, or if you've got your Bible on your screen, I want you just to close it for a sec. Keep your finger in it, but just close it, because I want you to think about how would you define love without the Bible? You could define it like the way our society defines it, or we're starting to define it, saying, you know, love is love. You want it to mean a certain way? You just take it and run with it. If we were to open up the Macquarie Dictionary, we would see how the Macquarie Dictionary defines love. Uh, and uh, just so happens that I've got it here up on the screen for you. Uh, love is, first of all, defined as a warm affection, the attachment, a liking or a fondness. Second, according to the Macquarie Dictionary, love is a sexual affection, a passion or a desire. Third, love is a sweetheart, a delightful, pretty person, pretty thing. Fourth, love is a no-score in tennis. <laughs> and fifth, love is defined as a temporary relationship between two people who have fallen in love. Now, according to the Macquarie Dictionary, if God is love, which we'll actually see in uh, 1 John 4 in a few weeks' time, then pretty much what we're left with is a God who likes warm fuzzies, is sexually passionate and cute, prefers temporary relationships and plays tennis on Sundays. That's the kind of God we're left with, according to the Macquarie Dictionary. Now, let's open up our Bibles, turn back to 1 John, and we come across 1 John 3, verse 16. You've heard of John 3, 16, probably. 1 John 3, 16, just as good. Take a look. 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Pay attention. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Now that is a worth, that is a verse worth memorising. 1 John 3.16. Do you notice the stark contrast? Whereas before, if hate leads to murder, love is demonstrated in sacrifice. Whereas hate takes away another life, love gives up one's own life so that others may live. And in a world that is constantly looking out for love, fumbling around, trying to figure out what does true love mean? Friends, the good news is the answer has been staring us in the face all along. Because love was on show 2,000 years ago when Jesus willingly, obediently, sacrificially, voluntarily hopped up on that cross and took our place, your place and mine. He laid down his life for you and I. Uh, last week in, in the beginning of chapter 3, uh, verse 1, we saw that this is a love that has been lavished on us. Lavished. I love that word lavish because whenever I hear that word lavish, it makes me think of Biscoff. Biscoff. I've got my jar of Biscoff here actually to show you. See, unlike Vegemite, think of like, you know, breakfast in the morning. Unlike Vegemite, you know, you spread that pretty thinly, right? You, you know, with the melted butter or with the avocado. Biscoff, on the other hand, you do not hold back. You go all in with Biscoff. I mean, I've had to hide this jar from my kids because a couple of days in, it was pretty much empty. It was like, oh my goodness, where's all the Biscoff gone? But they knew exactly what to do with the Biscoff. They lavished it on. Pretty much they were eating Biscoff and just so happened there was some bread underneath, right? But seriously, oh, isn't that good? Oh, come and take a smell later on. This is, <laughs> let this be a reminder of the love that God has lavished on you and I. It is so good. I'll put it, back, I'll put it down so I don't get distracted by it. 
Now, friends, in all seriousness, if, you wanna, if you're not aware of the love that God has lavished on you, if you've not taken that offer, then please come and speak to us. We would love to help show you through just how much the love that God has poured out for you. Now, you know, John is sometimes known as the apostle of love. Uh, and that's because the word love falls from his lips more than any other writer in the Bible. And so this apostle of love is now going to continue his masterclass on love by showing us how to love. Okay? Second half of verse 16. Now that we know what love is, you know, Jesus laying down his life, John says this, and so we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. The way of the Messiah is the way of the Messiah's people. The way of the Messiah is the way of the Messiah's people. That's why when Jesus said, you know, if anyone wants to follow me, they must deny himself, take up his cross, he wasn't making a suggestion. And nor was Jesus saying, you know, love when you feel like it, or love if you feel like it, love when it's convenient. No. He's not saying love a little. He's saying, no, love goes out of its way, even to the point of giving up your own rights, your own resources, your own time for the sake of others. This is just part and parcel of being a follower of Jesus. And so come verse 17, this radical love now becomes practical. Take a look at verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? You know, in the relatively short space that we've been together as a church, it has been so beautiful to see you guys live out this verse. Whether it's dropping off groceries, whether it's dropping off meals to someone, uh, like, a, a, like a family that has a newborn baby, or someone who's struggling or sick, it's been lovely seeing you know, some of you donate money so that others could make it along to retreat. A couple of, um, uh, about last month I think it was, um, before the start of a sermon I said, if anyone's got a spare laptop lying around, uh, you know, it'd be great because uh, one of the, the new migrants that we've made contact with was looking for one so that he could do an online course and hopefully improve his job prospects. Well, quick as a flash, that same Sunday, three offers of laptops appeared and by the end of that day we are able to get it to that person. That is love for one another. Keep it up. Keep it up. Now, for John, love's not meant to be all talk and no action. He goes on, verse 18. Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Actions and truth. What exactly does that look like? Well, in preparation for this talk, I've kind of been sniffing around, right, trying to see how that's been playing out in our community. And I've got three wonderful examples for you and one encouragement to keep growing in this area. So, right now, as we speak, Maggie, Nathan, Tammy, Andrew, Alice, although not today because she's sick, uh, Paige, Karis, Louise, Doreen, they are loving our kids and youth by teaching them the truth. They are loving them in the truth. And that's just the team that's on this term. You know, many of you have served in kids' ministry, you know, whether it's Ben and Alyssa or, or Ida or, or Melanie or Michael, Lydia, uh, Daniel. Many of you love, show your love for our kids and youth by teaching them in the truth. And we thank God for you. Please do not think of kids and youth ministry as babysitting. As loving as that is, they are doing something far more, far more worthwhile. Uh, at our picnic the other week, um, you know, again, love on display. People chatting to one another, looking out for each other, sharing food with one another. 
Um, but what really took it to the next level was when I heard one of our young adults say, you know, I've, I've, I've chatted to, to some friends and people I know, I'm not going to find someone who I don't know so well. And deliberately and proactively going to find someone. That is a person who's loving the way John talks about here. Uh, last week, Ethan uh, Viglioni, who oversees our production uh, at Rudy Hill, you know, lights, t- uh, all that sort of stuff up the back, he came to check out what's going on here in Parramatta. You know, wanted to see it with his own two eyes, think about how we can do it better. And the thing that stood out for him afterwards, he, t- he was telling me, was the way he saw love in action. Love in action. It was very noticeable for him as he saw the team setting up, you know, doing their thing, taking down punching bags, putting out chairs, connecting cords, all that sort of stuff. And just to say, wow, that is a group of people who are, yes, they've got to do a task, but they're not so task-oriented that they forget to love one another. You know, hearing those stories is such an encouragement to me. And it's a sign that we're a community that's really marked by love. And at the same time, because love knows no boundaries, there's always going to be areas that we can improve in and do better in, isn't there? And so, as your pastor, let me point out just one area where I think we can all do better in. And I include myself in this, very much so. I think it's in the little things, you know? The little things of, you know, responding to messages or to emails or to turning up, to turning up on time, all for the sake of others and loving them. Um, So, for example, by coming in early on Sundays, we can play our part in loving our fantastic welcoming team by enabling them to be here in the service as quickly as possible. I mean, did you know that they miss out the early part of the service uh, because the moment we don't have anyone downstairs, we have to lock the building for security reasons. And so if someone is stuck outside, you know, you've got a number you can message, one of our welcomers will go down, open the door. It's not like they say, sorry, too bad, doors are closed, you can't come in. No, we, we want to love people by, coming, by enabling them to come in, but we want to minimise that as well. And I realised this a few weeks ago when I was leading the service over at the village campus at Rudy Hill, and uh, I knew I was going to be late already, but I called Jethro and I said, um, Jethro, I'm outside, can you let me in? <laughs> and I just realised, like, Jethro, you know, had to come down three flights of stairs, open up the door for me, he even printed a sticker for me. That's loving, Jethro, <laughs> printing a name sticker and then come back up. And I I took him away from the service for a small part of it. Now, I will say, you know, better to be late than not come at all. So don't think, oh, I'm late for church, I'm not going to bother coming. Still come, but I think we all want to be heading in that direction of trying to love others by being here on time. Why not come earlier? Grab a coffee, chat with others, be here for the start of the music. You can love our music team in a very concrete way. Now, whether that's Uh, that's one little aspect. Uh, Whether it's me or your small group leader or your ministry team leader, you know, whenever someone from church gives you a call or sends you a message, it's because we care. You know, we want to make sure, help you fulfil the commitment that you've you've committed to. And they want to love you by, you know, in the case of growth groups, sharing time around God's word. Or they want to help you love others by serving others and being there on time to, to serve together. They want to help you follow through on the way that you yourself want to love others. You know, for our, some of our small groups, I know that you know, they've prepared meals beforehand and, 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 they've, and they've cooked or they've, 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 they've prayed for you, they've prepared for you. And I know that things pop up last minute, right? Sickness, all that sort of stuff. And I've been guilty of not responding to some messages or not returning phone calls. 
But friends, this is what love looks like. It's in the small gestures. I mean, love, we often think of those big, heroic, grand gestures, right? But so often it's actually in those little things. Those little things, the every ordinary things. Now, you and I know there's plenty of times where we have fallen short in love, where we've loved imperfectly. And when those times come our way, John now wants to say, don't let those times condemn you. Don't, cause them to, don't let them cause you to think that you're no longer a believer. Point three, have genuine confidence. Genuine confidence. Now, John wants to say, you know you're the real deal because you belong to the truth. Even though it might not feel that way, you're on the winning team. Let's pick it up at verse 19. Again, this is how we know, there's that phrase again, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from him anything we ask because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, so far, John has been speaking you know, in pretty black and white terms. He's been speaking pretty directly to our face. But now he wants to speak to our heart. It's as if John is saying, you know, putting the arm around the shoulder and saying, look, I know you're going to trip up. I know that you're going to give in to selfishness. I know it's going to feel like you're condemned. I know it's going to feel like you're a failure, you're inadequate, that you've fallen short because you've not loved your brother or sister as you would like to. But when those times come your way, John wants to say these words in verse 20. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. He knows everything. I reckon I've read that verse probably more than 10, 15 times this week and man, it gets better every single time. In fact, it's so good, I think we ought to say it together. I've got it up on the screen for you. 1 John 3.20. He's going to appear on the screen. Yeah, there we go. Cool. Let's say these words together. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. That is such a good verse. In the midst of self-condemnation, you can rest assured that there is someone who is bigger than you. Someone who not only knows you, but knows the depths of your heart. And there is not a single thing that has escaped his gaze or his tender love and care. Even if it feels like you're not saved, guess what? You have a God who knows you better than you know yourself. And being sure of where you're going to be spending eternity doesn't rest on your knowledge of yourself, but rather his knowledge of you. I'll say that again. Being sure of where you're going to be spending eternity doesn't rest on your knowledge of yourself, but his knowledge of you. Now, if you're someone here with a sensitive conscience, you might be thinking, oh no, I'm in big trouble. Right? The fact that there's no hiding from God makes me feel even worse. It's crushing. But no, friends, let verse 20 speak to you in the way that God wants you to hear it. He doesn't want you to minimise or to maximise your failings or your failures. He wants you to know that you are one of his precious children. And verse 21 reinforces it. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, that is, if we don't give in to that, that voice of self-condemnation, we have confidence before God. 
we have confidence before God. God is not in the business of condemning people. He wants to take that voice of self-condemnation and instead instill a robust confidence in you, a confidence that will actually come before him in prayer and boldly ask him for anything, as it says in verse 22. Because if there's anything that will kind of play itself out in the way that we actually don't have confidence before God, I reckon it's our prayer life. We feel too ashamed. You know, how could God answer my prayer? Does God even want to listen to me? I haven't talked to him in ages. But no, friends, the invitation is approach the throne of grace with boldness and with confidence. Because there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Well, friends, let me ask you, what were you doing on Tuesday night this week at about 7pm? Because at 7pm on Tuesday night this week, the world's population ticked over to 8 billion people. 8 billion people. 8 billion image bearers. People created by the living God. 8 billion people for whom Jesus laid down his life for. Well, 1 John today gives those of us However many of the 8 billion people, those of us who have taken the hand of Jesus, something pretty amazing, something pretty unique. He's given us confidence, not condemnation, when our hearts tell us something different. He's given us clarity, not confusion, on what love is and how to love. And he's given us comfort, not anxiety. Sorry, I couldn't think of another word that begins with C there, but comfort, not anxiety in who we belong to. Confidence, clarity, comfort. That we are indeed the real deal. Now maybe today you've walked into church thinking that you are a child of God. But maybe you've realised, actually, I don't have that confidence. I don't have that clarity. I don't yet have that comfort. Well, friends, if that's you, today is a good day. Because the two best days of your life are the day you become a Christian and the day you realise you're not a Christian and become one. And if you are someone here who is saved, as we rub shoulders with those other 8 billion image bearers in this world, many of whom are facing a Christless eternity, to the watching world, what are we on about? We're on about what Jesus himself says in John 13, 35. Last verse, up on the screen. Jesus himself says, By this, everyone, all 8 billion people, We'll know that you are my disciples if you love one another. It begins here, loving one another. And so that's why we're taking that step in that direction of trialling a new venue next Sunday. It's a one-off trial, and whether or not it's our future home will be determined by a whole range of things, but one thing will be, will that venue enable us to be the loving community in amongst the millions of people in and around Parramatta? The love that is on offer in Jesus. I look forward to seeing you there and want to invite someone who does not yet know this love of this community to come and join us because you never know. That might be the step that nudges them in the direction of accepting the greatest gift of all, the love of the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so in awe of the fact that there is no doubt, no question, no uncertainty that we can be your children because of what you've shown to us today and ultimately what you've shown us in the Lord Jesus. We are deeply thankful for the love that you have lavished on each and every one of us here. And we would pray, Father, that you would enable us to be 
better lovers. Lovers of, this, of, of uh, brothers and sisters in this community who call MBM home. Uh, all for the sake of making Jesus look good. Because we know that we have been transformed. We have moved from death to life. All thanks to him. And for that, we give you um, the utmost praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.